You're listening to Men of Abundance, episode 236 with Alexander Lowry. Today, amongst other things, we are talking about Wall Street stress and this thing we call work-life balance. Does it exist? You're about to find out. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community where we are proving to you that you can indeed live a life of abundance and prosperity in family, faith, finances, and fitness, and you can start doing that right now, today. Now, I am here in the flesh and living proof that you can live a life of abundance regardless of where you are financially. But you have to get in the right mindset. But here's the thing. I did not want my story to be the only story and the only proof to you that you can live your life of abundance. That's why I bring on amazing guests like Alexander Lowry and many others that I've had conversations with. So make sure you go back, listen to past episodes, and find the subject that fits best into your life. And then exercise one of the most fundamental practices of living a life of abundance, and that is paying it forward. You know, you've heard information is power. It's not. Information is potential power. It's really only power once it's shared and acted on. So be abundant in your life today by paying it forward and sharing men of abundance with everyone in your circles. And I do mean everyone. Although it's the title of this show is Men of Abundance, almost 50% of the listeners are ladies. And right now, the last I checked, this show is downloaded in 63 countries around the world. And I would greatly appreciate it if you were to go to iTunes or whatever podcast player it is that you're listening to this on and leave a rating and review on that podcast player. Speaking of podcast players, I just discovered, I didn't discover, I was actually at a meetup with all the podcasters here in Florida, or many of them here in Florida with Chris Kamitsos, and one of the sponsors of the upcoming PodFest is the new podcast player called Himalaya. It's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. Look that up, download that onto your phone. It can be used on any type of phone out there, any of the smartphones, Himalaya is so such a cool podcast player because you can actually leave comments on there like you can like on a blog or on a forum and you can rate the the um, podcast that you're listening to right there in Himalaya and you can play it at certain speeds whatever speed that you like best I just love it I'm loving it so far I had been listening to um, the podcast player Overcast, which I like as well, but I really like Himalaya. I like the platform and I like the layout. And a lot of podcasters don't even know that their show is on this podcast player. I didn't know until I learned about it. Then I went and looked it up and there was my show. So I subscribed to it, of course, and you can too. So download Himalaya and subscribe to Men of Abundance and all of your other favorite podcasts out there. And then I would love it if you left a comment on whichever episode you like best or you can leave comments that's the other cool thing most podcast players you can only leave a rating and review for the overall show but on Himalaya you can leave comments on each individual episode 
freaking amazing. And it's a game changer, so go check it out. Now today we're talking about the stresses of Wall Street and that type of environment, but put this into your own terms. Put this into your own life. Are you stressed out as a result of what you're doing that you would rather be doing something else? Rather the job or whatever it is that you're doing isn't stressful in itself, but you know that you would like to be doing something different, that in itself is stressful. And prolonged stress causes many health issues. So you want to minimize the stress. Don't get me wrong, a certain level of stress is good. I put stress on my body when I work out. I certainly put some stress on my body when I went swimming in the pool this morning for the first time in a long time. In fact, I think the last time I really swam laps, well, it was last summer, quite frankly, but I'm getting into swimming laps again, and it puts some stress on my body, to say the least. That kind of stress is good. However, prolonged unhealthy stress, especially from those who are workaholics, literally my wife was just telling me about a chef or a cook that she was watching on these cooking shows. These She likes to watch all these shows about chefs and cooks and all this stuff. And this one guy was absolutely adamant about getting a Michelin star for the restaurant that he worked at, so much to the point that he lived in the restaurant so that he could make sure that he was on top of things at all times. It almost killed him because of the stress and the lack of sleep and just constant, constant stress. Guys, you have to figure out ways to de-stress, whether it's go out in the woods, hang out with the guys, spend time with family. You have to unplug from your work and de-stress. And if your work is stressing you out on a regular basis, then it might be time to find some new work, like today's feature guest did. Our future guest today is Alexander Lowry. Alexander is a professor of finance at Gordon College and leads the school's Master of Science in Financial Analysis program. In addition, he's a board director's member of fintech and financial services companies, which means he's transforming, accelerating, and advising businesses that students he's educating want to work for. Alexander brings an unusual bilingual perspective to the academic world, having spent 15 years in senior executive positions in international business and finance. He's a frequent speaker at gatherings of business leaders, corporate events, and academic conferences. His views are often cited in the media, including in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Forbes, Reuters, Radio, and the major television networks. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Alexander Lowry. Alexander, how are you doing, man? What's going on? Oh, I'm pleased to be with you today. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Where are you at in the world? Just outside of Boston. Outside of Boston. Have not been around those parts yet, man. But now that I'm out here living on the mainland again, and uh, my wife and I, my wife just finished up with college, so we're ready to travel some more and well, congratulations for your wife. That's a big milestone. And uh, for me, I've been over here just for about a year and moved up from New York. So I will say the hardest part about being here is the sports teams. Uh, they are they are sort of enemy territory for me, and they're all really good. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't make it any easier for you, I'm right. sure. Absolutely. Well, that's good, dude. That's good, man. So before we get too much into our conversation, I'd like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, man. What do you have to be grateful for today? Well, yesterday was, uh, I have one daughter, she's my only child, and so she's clearly my favorite. Yesterday was her 11-month-old milestone, so mm. we are thrilled. She is growing and thriving, and my wife and I know we are so blessed. Man, that is so exciting. I, I, I love when they're little like that. They're just soaking everything in and learning so much, and it's just amazing. 
and she's growing into her personality. <laughs> exactly, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And expressing herself quite often, I'm sure. That's right. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, congratulations to you guys. That's awesome. Thank you. So if you would, how, how would you describe yourself? So for me, uh, I guess I would probably say I'm a reformed Wall Street guy. So uh, I had worked in New York at J.P. Morgan for four and a half years, and and I'm sure we'll talk about more about this for mm-hmm. the story, but it was it was time for a career transition and something different, and an opportunity came up to be here at Gordon College to be a professor of finance, to lead their new Master of Science Financial Analysis program, which is like an MBA. And the quality of life difference has been dramatic, so I got more time with my family. I got better work-life balance. I now have time to sit on some boards of some fintech and financial services companies, so I just feel like life has done some amazing twists and turns for me. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I mean, that is congrats to you, too, because, you know, so many opportunities come our way and some just don't seem like they're they're at the right time in our lives. But obviously, you know, some things have changed in your life. And sometimes that kick in the gut moment comes in that changes some of that. But talk a little bit about how how that happened. Where did that come about? So you're you're this Wall Street dude and you know you've got the look for sure and and you know I'm sure it's stressful as heck up there I've never been in that environment but I've talked to plenty who have and since left for various reasons but uh what was that what was that like how did that start what was that transition like well, so uh, the, the kick in the gut moment for me was actually even before that, but uh, Wall Street was a was a great place to work. It had been a place that I had aspired to ever since college, and I was thrilled about it, but there was a lot of ego caught up in it for me as well, right? It wasn't just a, a place to work. It was, I work at a great firm like J.P. Morgan, and I'm really smart. <laughs> there's there's no need for that in the world, right? So in some places, it's a proving ground, but you've got the uber type A personalities all trying to get past each other and a lot of sharp elbows, and that's not always the easiest place to be um, spending your time yeah i can i definitely uh, see that and that's exactly the same thing i've heard from other guys men and women for that matter and quite frankly i know based on the conversations i've had and people i personally know it was really hard for the ladies in that environment so let's get into that kick in the gut moment it came before all of that and Mm. um how did that play a role in what you're doing now Sure. So the the kick in the gut moment came for me about a year and a half after college. So this is when the internet space was going gangbusters and everybody was starting different companies. It was such an exciting spot. I was working for an internet startup consulting company. We had IPO'd while I'd been there. You know, I thought it was on top of the world. This is phenomenal. We had a, a kitchen full of food. We had a bouldering wall. We had a mini golf, right? It was this great place. Just thinking this is the way business should be. And in the bubble burst. And uh, I later realized it when you say it's what business should be like, they actually weren't making money. So it wasn't really a business, right? It was kind of like a charity. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, they just laid off all the young workforce. Like, well, we, we can't actually pay the bills. So that was the, the kick in the gut moment for me, realizing that I'd put so much of myself into my job and had identified myself in many ways through my job. And that's not how I want it to be. And I've taken stock of that since, and I placed my values in a very different place. But that was a good chance for me to step back and reassess why and how I do certain things. Well, yeah, that's very important that you bring that up because, you know, everything, every experience that we have makes us who we are and hopefully it makes us a better person as we grow through it. And Mm -hmm. it appears that that's what happened with you, right? 
Absolutely. And it was, in some ways, uh, many people have experience like that, whether you get fired or laid off at, at some point in their career. I'm glad it happened early because it allowed me to reorient myself and get a good perspective on life. And being in New York, right, you get really caught up in the rat race anyway. So this is a good chance to say, well, it was a little painful when it immediately happened. It was great for me in the long run. Yeah, exactly. So what was that transition like? What was the enough is enough moment? And, and what did you do after that? Mm. So after that, I ended up joining a, a large consulting company that was based out of London. It was a bit Machiavellian. I wanted to get a transfer to headquarters. You can do that with basically any company. Let's, so JP Morgan's New York, for example, if you join in, in London or Hong Kong, you can probably get an offer to come to New York. Uh, I joined a British consulting company, was moved over to London, lived there for seven years. Basically, had a great time, uh, about a dozen years working management consulting, but still wanted to get that Wall Street itch scratch. As I talked about before, that was my goal. It was an ambition for me. So I used my Wharton MBA as the opportunity to move across. And then I was working at JP Morgan after business school, worked there four and a half years and generally having a great time. It was a tough place though, a lot of hours. So I was engaged at this point and my now wife and fiance said to me, I don't think you working a hundred hours a week at a bank is going to do a lot for our relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have a truth teller in my wife and she's an amazing partner and gives me great insight. I had just been so lost in the weeds. I hadn't taken that larger perspective. So it was very easy for us to step back and say, okay, what should our life look and feel like? And New York is a crazy expensive place. Should we be somewhere else where we can settle down and buy a house and maybe get a dog and start a family and all these wonderful things a lot of people dream about? And it really was enough is enough. This is not going to make us happy. Yeah, it's all about that perspective, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of chuckle a little bit and I get that warm feeling inside when you mentioned, you know, your wife being, you know, the truth. And that's the same with me. It, it's been that way for many years. And, you know, guys, you know, some of you younger, younger guys, because I know I went through it. I was all about work and all about I got to do what I got to do because I'm the provider and mm -hmm. this is the way I'm going to do it. And my wife was always like, Wally, what the hell are you chasing? Why are you trying to make more money? And, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a man thing, I guess. I can easily say that because I know it is for me and many other men that I have this conversation with. But, you know, at some point we all grow up and our perspective changes mm. and our priority changes. Society tells us we add value by being providers, right? Mm -hmm. And we take that on, and that's a lot of pressure to put on our shoulders. Yeah, it is. Hence the reason why there's so many suicides on Monday, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because we, we take that and we don't really pay attention to what is really, really important. And listen, guys, we have to make money. We do have to provide. You know, how you do that is is not as important as it is that you just spend the time with the people that you're trying to provide for, well, it's a great way you say that because the way I think about it now is I clearly earned more while I was on Wall Street, but I earn less, but I'm multiple times happier, right? Having oh. quality of time at home, being with my wife and my child. And maybe there's also stages in life when you just come out of college versus once you're married, et cetera. And there's different seasons is the way I like to think of it. And there's different answers at different seasons. Right, absolutely. And I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had, and it's in the hundreds of conversations I've had with men and women who have step down on the income level and for a better quality of life lower income better quality of life much mm -hmm. better quality of life uh you know money's great but if that's all that's consuming your day and your night and your sleep and you know just everything then goodness man you you'll figure it out if you haven't figured it out yet you'll figure it out at some point i hope that's my plan 
Well, it's interesting. The person who runs the gym here at Gordon College, he and I were talking because when my first child was born, right, life gets upset. You, can, you don't have any control over your team. And he was telling me, he's like, you got to come in and start working out and get back to health. I'm like, I don't have any time for that. He goes, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your family. you got to find time for this. And for me, that was just part of a larger perspective about how do you get some balance? I know we'll talk about this more later on, but it's mm-hmm. it's stepping back and just like you said, reassessing what, what's important. Well, absolutely. I literally just had this conversation myself a week or so ago. And in one sentence, the individual said that working out, being physical, and I like to rephrase it to being physical, because it's not necessarily about working out. It's more just Mm -hmm. about moving and being physical is Mm -hmm. just as important as eating and breathing. And then in another sentence, he says, but I don't have time. Well, wait a minute. If it's just as important as as eating and breathing and sleeping, then you find time for those three things. But if it's just as important, then you have to make the time for the movement as well to get physical. Mm -hmm. You just have to. It's got to be a part of your daily routine. Everything else is, you know, breathing is passive. You know, you just got to do it. But you can breathe on purpose as well. But you have to find time. You know what I'm saying? That's a great perspective. And one of the classes that I took at Wharton, well, one of the classes that is most popular, Wharton, I should say, is called Total Leadership. Uh, Stu teaches that. And he basically talks that there's four circles of life. And, you know, the typical things people talk about, right? So you've got yourself, you've got your family, your community, and your work. But the key for him was if you think each of those is circles, if you can get them to overlap at all, you will become a happier person. Mm -hmm. And I think you touched on one of those there. Uh, Working out is the way I say it, but I think you're just saying getting extra exercise. You can do that in different ways. So for mm-hmm. example, my wife and I will try to go for walks. We've got the baby in the stroller. Now we're getting some steps in. It may not be the most rigorous exercise, but we're getting some exercise, but we're getting a chance to talk. So there I'm bringing a little bit of my health with, together with my family. These are combining things where you can get circles to overlap more and it's almost impossible to get all four to line up. But the more you can do that is a great use of your time. Yeah, very good point. I absolutely love it. So you know, it says in your um in your bio that was sent over to me that you have an unusual bilingual perspective on the <laughs> academic world. What's that all about? So for me, I, I, I guess the way I think about it is translating having been in the corporate world and being able to bring that over into the education nonprofit mm. space where I am now. So, uh, for example, that later this week, I'm taking the business club students down to New York for the annual pilgrimage to go meet with some Wall Street firms. And it's a privilege for me to be able to use my networks to open doors to get them in and to educate and teach and train them up and help them translate and learn what's it like in the working world. How do I do it? How do I make that work? But also be able to bring it back in the context here of I work with a lot of wonderful academics in the ivory tower who've been in academia their whole life brilliant people doing great work but how do i bridge both of those worlds because as we know educational institutions are under pressure like the costs are incredible and how do you change the business model so for me it's working between both of those worlds that is a really really cool point that you bring that up and and guys i want you to listen to what he's saying because i want you to think about what's going on in your world what your background is i have a the opportunity you know i was in the i was in the army for 25 years so of course i'm connected with a lot of veterans and i know that whole world mm. inside and out i worked you know everything from special ops to joint operations all over the world And I bring that perspective to my business strategies and whatnot. But guys, what can you do? What is your background? And where, you know, where you're making a transition and you can bring a different perspective into another world and even into these into your community. And and like like what Alexander's doing, I just think it's brilliant. And I'm glad that that you brought that up. 
Well, I love the way you describe that. I think God has given everyone unique talents and skills, right? And we're all supposed to, people get worried about what's my niche? How do I find that? Where's my exact skill set? Let's take military guys like you were talking about. Huge respect for them. We have a lot of people in my family who went that route. And I will never forget in business school, the absolute best people in leadership, they were all the military guys, right? So they might not have had the great work experience, but companies were eager to hire them because, you know, as a hiring manager, my thought was, and this is not the standard approach, my view is I only need two things things. I need intelligence and passion. If you have those, I can train you to do anything. Now, most people, I'm going to say this not the nicest way, are a little bit lazy as hiring managers. They want someone who's been there and done it before because it's plug and play and they can go on with the rest of their job. That's not a good experience for anybody. You're not going to keep somebody if they've done it before. People want to grow and develop. Military guys are a great example. Let's say you, you finished, a, a, you, maybe you went to West Point and you finished that and, and you've done your time and now you're ready to transition over. Grad school is a typical way they do that. For people to hire them, they've got to be able to look past, well, you've never done it before. But so what? I have the leadership abilities. They're going to make a tremendous opportunity for your company as I grow and develop. And I think it's just, as you said, how do you translate that over so the person on the other side of the table can really fully get it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the biggest transition challenges that mm. a lot of military have is, is figuring out how to transition their the terminology in the military and what they did in the military into the civilian life. And that is one of the biggest challenges they, that they have. And you bring up a very good point as far as the military is concerned, because even I went to one organization, I had never worked in a medical center before. I'd always been in a field organization, infantry, special ops, something like that. And now I'm in a medical center, and one of my bosses, the sergeant major, says, well, have you ever been a training NCO before in an operations? Uh, and I said, well, no, but there's many things I've never done before that I was successful at. <laughs> you know, just put me in there, and, and I'll figure it out, you know, and I'm sure somebody will train me, somebody that's been there before me. And that's the whole every three, six, eight years in the military, you're moving on to a different organization, mm. a different job, and so on and so forth. So it's it's actually absolutely a perfect transition but there's many other vocations out there that do the same thing in mm -hmm. similar ways so and i love what you said about the hiring process because people do get lazy and i've i've done hiring as well for various positions and i always want to I, I never really want to look at the guy just because that's what they've done for the last 10 years maybe they weren't successful maybe that's why they're moving on to another organization sure. you just don't know i want somebody fresh and new man well well Maybe if we can just stick on this theme for a second, because I think this is really powerful, and I'm sure a lot of the people who listen probably have a military background as well, is uh, realizing that people in the civilian workforce who, who've never served have a tough time understanding some of the stuff you've done. For example, one resume I looked at to hire, this person moved on uh, every three to six months, he's moved to a different unit. And we stepped back and we thought, well, we don't know if this guy's the absolute superstar, so he's getting fast-tracked towards uh, general status, or whether he's a problem and he gets shipped around. And we couldn't tell till we interviewed him, but we can't necessarily figure out that terminology well. So my recommendation, and this goes for anybody, whether you're military or not, when you're in a hiring position, you're going for an interview, realize it has absolutely nothing to do with you. This is not about you. It's about the person on the other side of the table. It's about the hiring manager. They have a problem and they need you to solve it. If you can show them how you solve the problem, you will get the job. And there's basically three things you can do. You can make the company money, save the company money, or make the boss's job easier or some kind combination of them if you can figure out what their pain point is and talk to that now you've got a really interested audience yeah and guys that takes research that takes work because i've said this i've read many books on the whole idea of you know finding your dream job and all this other kind of stuff if you're unemployed first off that's your full-time job 
is doing research on the companies that you want to work for so that you can add value to them. And if it's, you know, you have a job, then obviously it's your part-time job, but it takes work to do that. And that's excellent that you brought that up. I'd like to bring up some good news stories of stuff that, you know, you mentioned what you're doing and uh, where you're at now and everything that you have going on. What are some good news stories that are coming out of the work that you've been doing? Uh, sure. So I, I feel blessed just to share this. So one of the things that was really exciting for me was not just becoming a professor of finance, but getting to launch a brand new grad school program. So everybody's familiar with the typical MBA, two years, wonderful opportunities, especially if you have no idea what you want to do. Then in that case, it's absolutely perfect because you get to see a little bit of everything. You do a summer internship. You realize, yeah, that's great. I want to do marketing or finance, whatever it is. And you specialize in your second year. And I wanted to change that model and turn it on its head. So my philosophy, having done the MBA, it's great for some people. If you know what you want to specialize in, basically that second year, you could do just that same second year with the same technical skill set. But I wanted to offer it at a very different price point. So the average MBA tuition is something like 140000 And if you go to a top school like Warden or Harvard, talking like 200000 that's a lot of money and it's a lot of time. So we wanted to take that one year, but do it in a, in a better, faster, more affordable way. So we did it with, we're pricing it at 30 thousand because we feel convicted that people have so much undergrad debt we don't want to put grad school on top and also where we are is boston is the finance hub right after new york boston has the number of finance jobs so we feel like we have this access that we want to be able to put people out into and share so we've actually also seen statistics over the last couple of weeks that over the last four years MBA applications have been dropping off a cliff, but we thought the top schools were immune to it. But this year, they've also fallen off as well. So I think there's beginning to be a recognition among especially a lot of the younger people that this is a big opportunity cost to go and do something like that. So I'm excited to be able to offer something different in that space. That's really cool. I, I really, really dig that because being I'm a, I'm a self-learner and I like to get these courses from people that um, you know, or doing what I want to do type of thing, if they offer a course or they have a book. And I love learning that way. And I love, you know, hiring them as coaches and mentors and whatnot and getting my knowledge that way. I have a, a bachelor's in business administration. I didn't go on to the MBA because for me personally, I first off, I could have paid for it. I had the military, but I gave it off to my, my wife so she could finish her degree. But talk a little bit more about that. One of the things I want to bring up is I read an article recently and I saw a conversation. I think it was on Twitter. Maybe it was on LinkedIn talking about how the MBA, the enrollments have drastically dropped. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on that? Because one of the things I was thinking, well, is it because, does it have anything to do with, and I don't want to get political here at all, but one of the, one of the things I was considering is, is it because we're not having people coming from, you know, um, what do we call them, exchange mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that coming from mm -hmm. other countries that are coming into these programs, or is it just because of the return on investment? So it's a couple factors uh, there, and we we talk about the importance of them. But one of the factors you mentioned is visa situation. There's a little bit more tenuous in the U.S. at the moment. It's not as clear as that is impacting some internationals deciding whether they want to come. That's a fact. Another fact is where we are in the economic cycle. So we can argue about when it's going to change, and it's inevitable that it will change. And I think very bad times are going to follow. When things are going well, 
people often say, you know, I don't need to go to grad school right now. I'm making good money. Things are okay. When you lose your job, when the economy goes south, that's when people think maybe I'll go hide in grad school for a couple of years. So where we are in the cycle is part of it. And there's also just a big change of we recognize that the millennials, the younger generation wants to do things differently. They want a different experience. They're willing to move to uh, lesser cities where it costs less to live in, right? They're very sticker conscious, sensitive. They also feel like two years is a big ask of my time. I'm trying to experience life. So I think it's a combination of things. That's a very good point. Yeah, it, I get that. And that makes sense with the, the millennials as well, because I see time and time again, it's a YouTube generation. And there's so many online learning courses and online um, learning platforms that you can just go and learn exactly what you want to learn and then apply that and many of them that doesn't really help a whole lot when it comes to wanting to get a job because let's face it Mm -hmm. employers want that piece of paper they -hmm. want that diploma but if they're the type of person that wants to go out and start their own business or be part of a startup or you know something of that nature then the piece of paper doesn't make a whole lot of difference the knowledge does don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. but the paper doesn't make as much of a difference and they can get it a cheaper way through other courses so explain a little bit more about what this course is that you're setting up and sure so i think you made a you made a really good distinction there so i'll, I'll go back to my jp morgan days for example in the hiring process if you wanted to be a senior person even a mid-level person the the only discrimination that's allowed is whether you have a college degree right it doesn't matter where it's from can you check that box and the next box below it was do you have an advanced degree and it was basically, it would say, strongly preferred. And you might as well triple underline that. It's almost impossible to get an interview without that. Now, you can check that box in different ways. It could be a master of social work or public health or an MBA or anything. They're all advanced degrees. And don't go to grad school to check a box. But can you find a better way to do the grad school that still gets you the same technical skill set you need, that's faster, that's more affordable, that gives you the network that you need and the opportunities? So the rote process has always been for everybody just go to grad school and I remember talking to one of my friends I said how did you pick you went to UVA Darden for his MBA very good school I said how'd you pick that he goes what do you mean it was just the top rated grad school that I got into and I thought that's not the way I'm picking grad school but I get what you're saying right so I think the world is changing a bit so the perspective for us is look if you know you want to go into financial services and we can teach you the same finance accounting mathematic economics as an MBA program but do it in a very different way still build in the internship but just get you out in the world fast because at the end of the day, people want to go out. They want to start their life. They want to add value. They especially think about millennials. They they want to be doing something that's meaningful. There's no point of sticking you in a classroom for a long time teaching teaching you a lot of theory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome, man. And that's great that you're bringing that up and and doing that because it's there's a huge need out there for it. And um, my boys specifically, <laughs> they're 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 kinetic learners. They're the type of guys that have to learn hands on, just like me. And um, I just dig it, man. So, man, we're at the point where we're going to pay it forward. You ready to do that? Yeah. Hey, guys. Our veteran business owner of the week is Adam Cummings. Now, Adam is, has become a friend of mine ever since I was invited onto his show, Vetting America. Adam is a freelance copywriter, veteran advocate, podcast host, and inbound marketing strategist. Adam and I met through one of the many veterans Facebook groups that I'm a member of. And since he invited me onto his show as a featured guest, Vetting America, go check it out, guys. It's a really, really good show. Anyway, since I've been on Adam's show, he and I have developed a really close bond, both as veterans and in our passion and business. Adam is my choice as a veteran business owner of the week for quite a few reasons, actually. He is a perpetual learner. 
I always enjoy working with men who are skilled and yet know that they don't they haven't got it all figured out. In life and as it is in the military and business, our terrain is always changing. We must constantly adapt and overcome. That is exactly how I see Adam managing his life, his skills, and his business as a content and copywriter. He can adapt to various industries and business models. His passion and his purpose will ensure that you get the best product for your investment. And listen, as a Marine, you know he's going to pay very, very close attention to detail. And I'm here to tell you guys, he is a stickler for detail. So if you want to hire Adam as your content writer, then just go to this episode Check in the show notes down at the bottom at menofabundance.com. Look for this episode and you'll find the link at the bottom of the show notes. And you'll also find the link to his show, Vetting America. You definitely want to go check that out. Now let's get back to the conversation. So share one to three actionable steps that Men of Abundance can take today. So the way that I think about life is I break things down into five buckets. So I've got my faith, my finance, my fitness, my friends, and my family. And it's not necessarily in priority order. But for me, if that's my life, I can generalize it into those five areas. And, you know, finances include my job. I know that if I try to do all of those, I'm going to be mediocre in all of those. So I have to intentionally, and we talked about seasons before, for the season that I'm in now, however long that is for you, I can choose three of those and I will do those three really well. That means I intentionally have to let some of the other ones go and accept in this season that I'm not going to do them well. You know, friends, for example, is one of those for me where I've had to let them go for now. Now, granted, it's going to be easier. I've just relocated to a new place. I'm away from all my friends, but I've got a young kid and I've got to prioritize that. So I have been adjusting where and how I spend my time because I want to knock out of the park what I really want to do, what I really think is important right now. If I try to do it all, I've learned I can't do it. Are you going to give up sleep? We've already talked about how your health is important. Everything else is going to suffer. So for me, pick which ones you want to do for now and you reassess as life changes. Very, very good points. And that's what I always say, you know, about living your life of abundance and family, faith, finances, and fitness. And I call it a counterbalance. Mm. Um, I got that from the book, The One Thing by Jay Pepizan and uh, Mm -hmm. Gary Keller. Um, yep. Jay was one of my guests early on in this in this show, but um, yeah, you, it's a counterbalance. You're, anytime you want to excel in one part of your life, the other parts are going to drop off a little bit. They're going to get neglected a little bit. But the you know the relationships and your health are the two two of four, three or four that you can't neglect for very long. You know you got to kind of let it go a little bit. But it's a very good point that you do that. So, what daily habits make the biggest impact in your life? So for me, uh, I'm a very task-oriented person. My wife would tell you I love to have projects. I love to get stuff done. So I have a a two-by-two matrix. It's on the wall in my office, but it also just exists in my head. And the axes are urgency and importance, right? So if you think the grid breaking down, the stuff that I've got to do today is both urgent and important. And then the stuff that... Um, maybe someone else was really, let's say the president of the college, really important to them. Well, that's highly urgent. It might not be as important to me, but I probably have to try and do that today or tomorrow. And then there's the stuff in the top left corner. It's really important to me, but it's not urgent. I've got to make sure that doesn't slide all the way off the radar. I've got to continue to move those things to the top right corner. And there's the stuff in the bottom. These are not urgent, not important. I want to delegate it. I want to delete it. I want to defer it because these are kind of noise distracting me. And it really helps me step back and you know forget about my inbox, right? Because that inbox doesn't get anything done for my email. But this is my projects. How am I going to move things along? And you've got projects from your home life, from your work life, etc. But where do they stand? What do I need to do today? Sometimes it's the blocking and tackling. And then once a week, I'll step back and look at the bigger picture, right? So what do I need to accomplish in the next week, the next month? Where are they in this grid? 
Yeah, very good technique. I love that. What are you reading or listening to, or what would you recommend that our Abundant Leaders read or listen to, and why? Well, my new favorite is Adam Grant. He's got a podcast called Work Life. I just love him. I He's got several books. He's fantastic. He's the number one rated professor warden every year. He is prolific for what he gets done. And I love the way he goes and basically he talks, this is what he says. He, says, he tries to make work suck less. And he just has fantastic <laughs> ideas and is clever in the way he interviews and brings stuff up. So I enjoy him immensely. And I also think he has tremendous insights. Wow, that sounds interesting. I'd like to check that out myself, and I'll definitely have that linked up in the show notes for sure. That sounds really cool. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? I know from myself in the past and sometimes still occasionally now, I can get lost in that analysis paralysis, right? So uh, for me, my philosophy now is I don't want to let perfection to be the enemy of good. Most things we do, good is good enough. So uh, the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle, you know, you can spend 20% of your time getting to 80% of the results. You can get it pretty quick. But getting that last 20% will take 80% of your time. Basically, to get to perfection is sometimes polishing the turd is the way we'll call it, right? You normally don't need perfection. There are things you do and do those really well. But for others, you can really get the fall, the ball far downfield and make a lot of progress. And that's probably enough and move on to the next thing. So I think for a lot of us, we just talked about before, how do you balance stuff? Well, it's also knowing where you have to spend the time to make it perfect versus good enough. Yeah, absolutely. I see it time and time again, guys that I work with and even in their personal life and their business life. It's like, what are you waiting for, man? Well, it's not where I want it to be. It's never going to be there, dude. (laughs) It's never going to be there. Just move on, man. It's great. I'm seeing it. Just this morning, I was watching. I'm in this uh, mastermind group and I'm watching the comments. I'm like, God, just pull the trigger, man. All right, that's awesome. So Wait, waiting, waiting for timing to be absolutely perfect to go forward. I know, forward. And, it's, and they just can't make a decision, you know. So what does living a life of abundance mean to you? So we've touched about this in a couple of different ways, but let me summarize it a little bit differently now. So uh, for me, it's a balanced life, but I don't think there's that exists this phrase work-life balance. I don't think that makes any sense. To me, it's Mm -hmm. a loser's game. It implies there's a scale. One is winning and the other is losing. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. Uh, I think about work-life integration, right? So how can I bring things together in a way that's successful? We talked about those circles overlapping before. So I've got a job now. You know, I can work a lot of hours, but I can do some at home. I can be there in the morning, I can be there at night, I can work offline, get some other stuff done, I can figure out how to get what I need to do around my other priorities of my family. So it, it's knowing what your priorities are and sticking to them. I just feel like that's a better philosophy. Yeah, 100%. It's just, it, we were talking about it just a few minutes ago as well, you know, that that counterbalance and stuff. And, and it really does make a big difference in your life once you realize that it doesn't have to be completely separate. Now, I've seen guys that they bring work, you know, you hear the whole term about bringing work home and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I get that. You know, you got to be in the moment when you're in the moment. But um, at the same time, I don't know, it's just everybody wants to have this perfect balance in their life and it just does not really exist. Now I'll say for my personal life, in a situation I'm in now, I get to work from home. You know, I'm sitting here talking to you. I got my stand-up desk here, and I'm actually doing mm-hmm. leg lifts while I'm, I'm overlapping nice. a couple circles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm building a relationship with somebody who I was introduced to from somebody else, who, from Sean, from Coming to the Table podcast. 
And uh, so I'm overlapping like three circles right now, man. I'm digging it. And, <laughs> That's uh, perfect. Yeah, it's actually when, pretty when awesome. you get to four, let me know. I've never been able to do four. Uh, yeah, well, let's see. Maybe some spiritual stuff going on here because I'm looking outside to a beautiful scenery and stuff. So <laughs> we're, we're working it, man. We're trying to make it work. But um, it's never going to be a complete total balance for everybody. And, and like you said, I love when you said this, you know, you got your seasons in your life. There's going to be times where it's, you know, it feels more imbalanced, but other times it's going to be way out of balance, man. But as long as you're moving forward and you're working on something and adding value to people and to your own life, family, faith, finances, and fitness, then man, I just think you're growing and you're just Ooh. doing the right things. Absolutely. Cool. So we're going to close this up. But before we do, what did we not talk about that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation today, Alexander? I think if we just circle the square, I'd love to summarize it back up that I think we males, we talked about this before, uh, the perfect work-life balance, having it all under control, doing it all. That is so much pressure that we put on ourselves. And I don't think it's real. I don't think our wives expect that much from us or our girlfriends. And they probably know that we're, we're flawed people. But uh, I always tried to do it all. And it just, it leads you down a dark place. So I think we need to cut ourselves some slack. I think we need to recognize some seasons will be more successful in some ways than others. And that's fine. But life is growing life's changing around us take my 11 month old daughter i'm sure on a regular basis i'm doing something wrong because i'm a new parent but you know what she's 80 20 rule really healthy really happy generally pretty good so <laughs> you know just just allow life to flow a bit and, and roll with it man just have fun just just uh -huh. have fun really and and again congratulations i just smile every time i hear that age man it's just such a beautiful age for me it's my favorite like that Right at where they're sleeping through the night, and then mm. you know, into <laughs> too, too soon. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're lucky like that, right? I'm okay, sure it'll good. change. Yeah, I was told yeah. that as soon as you get it figured out, the kid will change. Though. Absolutely, man. But that's part of the whole fun of it. Again, congratulations on that, brother. It's been a great conversation. I dig what you're doing, and um, man, just go out and live your life of abundance and keep paying it forward because it's just making a huge difference. I know it is. Well, Wally, I appreciate time to, to chat with you and your audience today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks. All right, guys, whether you got anything out of that conversation or not, I encourage you to share it with others because you never know who it's going to touch and influence. Now, your action step today is to take inventory of your stress level. Take inventory of the things that are stressing you out in your life and seeing if you can remedy that, take a break from it, or completely eliminate it from your lifestyle. I can go on about story after story and all the data that proves that high levels of unhealthy stress in many cases are directly linked to ailments such as cancer and other debilitating diseases. You can prevent this, guys. You can prevent this by taking inventory of the stress in your life and eliminating or at least reducing that stress or getting a break from it. Now, go out, live your life of abundance, and guys, make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.